Hey, 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 everybody. How are you all guys doing? Welcome to the Wimper Podcast, where we talk about all the goofy stuff related to space, astronomy, deep tech, AI, and a lot more to learn about which you won't find much in a conventional form of education. Apologies from my side for the quite unforeseen circumstances that caused various forms of disturbances from our guest side. But I would say you would still be able to enjoy this episode because this is one of the most deep and insightful conversations we've had so far. So, so uh, I hope you enjoy it. Welcome everyone and I hope to you're able the to second to episode of the equations. The We're back again with Mr. Shonak Bhattacharya. And yeah, uh, in the past episode, uh, I guess uh, Mr. Shonak uh, spelled out some name uh, of an author, maybe a, maybe a physicist uh, over there. And then we'll start off with the episode. Mr. Shonak, over to you. A very good evening to Divyansh and to all the viewers. Welcome to the second episode of Field Equations. And my name is Shonak. And I hope you're enjoying this uh, intensive discussion on general theory of relativity einstein field equations so before we go ahead with this second and final episode i will sincerely apologize for the mistake that i made last episode i uh, named her halley but it should be edmund halley who took out the initiative of publishing newton's principia mathematica so arthur halley although he is an american writer and i've read some of his books but uh, sorry it would be edmund halley the person who took the initiative and almost from his own pocket went forward and published Philosophy Naturalis Principia Mathematica, the seminal work of Isaac Newton. So that is a small correction from the first episode. And I hand it over to the Uh By the way, in that itself, did he take any credits for being the publisher of the book? Um, well, he was a very good friend of Isaac Newton, so he didn't do, really do any credit. But history accounts that uh, it was during that time that, uh, you know, Newton was not having any money and the uh, Royal Society was not willing to publish either of his uh, foundations. So definitely it was Edmund Halley who took it. But if you read Principia Mathematica, the, I mean to say the original Latin part, I don't think uh, uh, there is any mention of Edmund Halley's name. Has there been any other Indian apart from Srinivasana Ramanujan who has been the part of the Royal Society so far? A lot. I don't remember the names, but um, you can search, search in Google. There are a lot of people who have been named in the Royal Society. I think if I'm not wrong, uh, mm. my kind apologies because this is not which uh, you should take it as a final word. I mm. think Ashutosh Mukherjee, uh, mm. one of the founders of in Calcutta, especially these uh, colleges, presidency and others, was a member of the Royal Society. So a lot many Indians are members of Royal mm-hmm. Society. So that is no doubt uh-huh. on that. I see. Okay, so um, not as many questions as I thought there would be. But yeah, because of the follow-up questions that we usually ask, the question, the uh, episodes get long enough. Uh, right. So anyways, uh, talking about what role do Einstein's field equations play in modern physics and how they continue to shape our understanding of the universe? I mean, I don't remember if I asked this question last time, but yeah, anyways, let's have a repeat on it. So, uh, right. So if you talk of field equations and taking the role in terms of, um, I would say, modern physics. So actually, if you talk of modern physics, it actually starts with Albert Einstein, honestly, but some people say that it actually started with uh, even Isaac Newton or most probably with James Kirk's Maxwell's, uh, you know, equations of electromagnetism. But we take off special theory of relativity as a culmination point from which the uh, the modern physics actually ta- starts. 
So if you talk about modern physics, actually, as you know that both uh, general theory, much later, but special theory initially revolutionized the entire concept of our understanding of space-time specifically. So if, the, if you talk of space as an axis, time as an axis, now we know that space-time is actually one single unit, and there are different reasons for that. We have explained it in the first episode also. So those who are listening and you are not being able to recap those ideas, I would request to go to Divyansh's uh, first episode and watch on that. So first was that entire understanding of space and time as different, I would say, entities are now being entwined one of space-time, which is called space-time. So eventually what happened that I remember, I don't remember the line, but it was showed that time from now on actually vanishes from the fabric, but now it is all about space-time. That is one. Second thing you would see, if you talk of the practical applications, I have explained it in one of my videos, what are the practical applications of relativity. Today we are using the GPS system specifically to deliver Zomato uh, deliverables yeah. at your home and you'll be using Ola cabs. Mm -hmm. That is basic, basically, you know, say one of the, uh, I would say one of the uh, essence of special theory of relativity that we came to know about GPS specifically. So well, we are all using GPS, so thanks to Dr. Albert Einstein. So we should remember him every moment when we are booking a nice kebab or a cello kebab over Zomato. So that is one of the main factors that we should do. How, how are we using it? Uh, uh, well, uh, whenever we are positioning a GPS, the satellite, which is actually recording the position of that Zomato driver, there is a time delay between what the satellite is recording and how the person is driving. So that time delay is actually calculated. I mean to say not calculate, but that is essentially what special theory of relativity taught us that when a person mm -hmm. is moving, then from the satellite and from the ground, what is the time delay and how do we calculate it? So that is essentially, I would suggest on the way that it is modernized further using satellite communication. This is one most important thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that what we really saw that, you know, great, remarkable, I was, I would astounding astrophysical photographs from the James Webb Space Telescope. Now, we know yeah. that Hubble is, is still there. Hubble has been serving and, uh, you know, they are capturing great photos of galaxies, nebula, stars, etc. But James Webb Telescope is the first which actually showed what is called gravitational lensing. That means with the presence of mass, if there is a curvature of space-time, that means light is traveling. That means the, if the light hits on my back, I would be able to see my back. That means mm. on, on the back, back side. So what is happening is that gravitational lensing, you will see James Victor's telescope is showing that the same photograph or the same galaxy is coming twice or thrice. Why it is happening? Because of the gravitational lensing, the li light is reflecting from the back and it is coming back so we can see what can almost be unseen. That is uh, what James Webb Telescope so has done. bends yeah. around a particular cluster of stars or celestial yeah. bodies. Absolutely. comes right into the eyes of the observer. Right. Absolutely. I'll put, I'll I... put an image for that in case people okay. are not able to understand. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in this uh, recent, uh, you know, video, what is gravity? I have actually uh, told you it is, I think, Abel, A-B-L-L-T-28. I, I really don't remember the name. So that, that is actually a cluster of stars, um, you know, which actually first to get hold of gravitational lensing. So that was basically Abel 370, I remember. Abel 370, A-B-E-L-L. -E 
that was the first uh, galaxy of stars which actually found uh, through gravitational lensing. So hmm. one is the GPS, second is the gravitational lensing which has been found. And in that way, you will see that the entire way we compute, we do the mathematical part, we, we understand everything. Even you will see special theory of relativity is now coming in class 10. I, I won't say class 10, 11 and 12 onwards. So you know, young people, young children are now aware about what Einstein is. So Einstein is not only theoretical physicist, but he has I actually become. Uh, okay, uh, is actually some things which is coming uh, along with the uh, with the young generation. So that is one. Another thing, what I would say is that we got a lot of exotic mathematics, which hmm. uh, which actually uh, paved our way for further pure mathematics studies. The tensor calculus, the gravity, uh, that uh, I would say the tensor mathematics, various other fields uh, which emerged, uh, I would say, especially differential geometry, manifold structures, topology. Uh, I, I mean to say with that, actually, these things came into the realm and a lot of young people, especially pure mathematics, is going to study that. I wouldn't say that it is because of general theory of relativity, but general theory of relativity used a lot of um, mathematics which was not known during that time, especially the European part. I'm talking of Germany and Vienna, but it was borrowed later by Einstein from Italy and various other physicists. Mm -hmm. So the modern physics uh, owes a great to, um, I would say, relativity, especially uh, in order to understand and get a complete new view of the way we are looking. We now understand what is gravitational lensing. We now understand what are black holes. We now understand what are, uh, you know, a GPS system and entire astrophysics. Mm -hmm. uh, possibly we can use further that, you know, most importantly, particle accelerator. So we got, uh, you know, certain, we got hypothetical particles like tachyons, etc. We are supposed to accelerate almost 99.999999% close to the speed of light. So if we do accelerate it, what are the things that we are getting? So particle physics indeed is also being revolutionized through, hmm. I would say, yeah, that's... Uh, and then what are some of the philosophical implications of the field equations and why... Uh, the philosophical... Challenge. <laughs> the philosoph yeah. yeah, the philosophical implication of, um, I would say, um, relativity is basically... Uh, in a deeper sense, uh, I would say that it led to the foundation of uniting the small with the big, which I really don't know when will happen at all with it happen. So I was reading a book long back, uh, a book called Codename God, which is written by Mani Bhaumik, uh, mm. uh, you know, somebody who actually discovered laser uh, operation of eyes, right? Mani Bhaumik, mm. famous. So, you know, the philosophical implication lies in that whether at all, the universe that we are looking and the search that we are, that is the grand unified theory or the theory of everything, will it at all emerge or not? So right at this moment, we are in a position that we do not know anything about unifying gravity and quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. So that leads to a very philosophical statement that we really don't know anything about the universe. Mm -hmm. I remember this is a famous line uh, quoted by Stephen Hawking, who says that all we know is how but we don't know why, hmm. how the wind flows, how the light travels, how uh, gravitational lensing happens. The boom, but the moment you ask why, hmm. you are faced with a deep problem. Let me give you an example, which will be certain 
very interesting to the viewers also not only physics but i would say in every i mean talking about philosophical aspects I absolutely absolutely we things. don't know right mm. so for example uh, i i recently made a video on uh, what is called god does not play dice that talks about einstein's philosophy on quantum mechanics and nature and reality and god mm. so you see that what happens is that for example if i flip a coin and it has got a head and a tail now the moment uh, it lands on my hand it is either head and tail right so if it is head if i ask you you will say ob obviously the opposite part will be tail now if it is tail then the opposite part would be head now the question is that if i ask you okay divyansh tell me that when the head falls when act exactly the tail falls is it one minute one second one microsecond you won't be able to tell me that when the head falls on the the coin falls on my head when mm -hmm. actually does the tail fall so it happens instantaneously it happens immediately without any uh, gap so that actually bothered einstein and he told that how can this happen that a particle and electron located over here and a particle located over here there is a communication and that communication is greater than the speed of light mm -hmm. because i am locating one electron at your home and another electron at alpha centauri and you change a spin of that electron at your home and quite a million light years that immediately changes so that laid einstein to the thought that that must be something which you called as spooky action at a distance i quote the word spooky action at a distance spooky if you took up cambridge you will see it means basically what you call ghostly yeah so yeah. that actually but the fact is that if you go into schrodinger's equation the time independent equation you will see that the time t actually cancels out that means schrodinger's equation tells that when you are evolving through a quantum system it is not that a light is traveling and information is traveling a voice is traveling no nothing is traveling it is happening instantaneously mm -hmm. now you will ask me the philosophical question which we are discussing that why it happens why two electrons are in both superposition why schrodinger's cat is both dead and alive why it is that quantum entanglement happens we never know we don't know so if you talk of general theory of relativity also if i get a kind of a piece like this now if i bend it it will cause a curvature now if you ask me why it causes a curvature in this direction why it doesn't cause a curvature in this direction we don't know actually so the philosophical implication actually i would say it is a kind of a pessimistic outlook which came out from general theory of relativity is that we really don't know the why we only know the how and why we do not know the why because till date in 2023 24th of may we are talking uh, on earth right we are not on mars and moon so on earth on 24th of may we really don't know why we have not been able to unify quantum mechanics and gravity partially some part of it has been done by paul dirac especially with quantum mechanics and special theory of relativity which we call quantum electrodynamics but as far as gravity is concerned it is not that means the philosophical implication tells that we maybe till now that we cannot know why it is we only can say how and physics chemistry mathematics whatever we are doing it only relates with how that's it i see uh, so this is particularly not going to be as long as the previous one because certainly i'm going to run out of questions and certainly don't want again on the same topic that might bore you off so um coming on to the next question the field equations introduce a few terms like tensors and the subscripts right. of the elements of the equation um what are they 
like okay. you just give an introduction of okay i would i would i would request i would it would have been possible i think uh, it's not possible or the mm-hmm. podcast won't give this permission if i would have showed actually the uh, field equations and then um, i could have explained I think it if there's a possibility of a board or a google classroom board ja, i think ja, yeah i will just yeah, open there is that a, there is a whiteboard yeah yeah so i will uh, just uh, you know first open the field equation and then it would be better to explain uh, i think uh, i can share my screen right now with your permission right. yeah sure so i would like to share the screen and uh, what i would like to show the viewers is this one is it visible uh i think yeah, so is, i will just it put it visible. up yeah i will make it better with this one so in case people are listening to this you might consider watching this episode for today i mean whenever you are watching it or whatever uh because yeah. particularly listening to this wouldn't make sense when the equations are right in front of you uh, <laughs> so yeah rather than that try to see the video that will be uploaded afterwards so yeah cool yeah sure move on so first of all i would like to explain this equation particularly this is the central part and it took einstein and other mathematicians 10 years to frame this equation right so i i would like to explain the overall equation first and then i will come one by one to the component parts and i think that we can talk almost 3 hours on that but i think you will be not be happy to explain for so long but it this actually would take another 4 hours for me to explain but i will try to uh, reduce it as little as possible and do let me know if i am exceeding the time okay so if i talk of the entire left hand side of the equation this one hmm. this is actually the space time curvature okay even if i before talking that i would like to give the viewers something which is very known to each and every people so the first thing which i would like to show is this part which is one half and we know this is one half nothing to worry about we know this part we know this one which is a plus sign what it is we know this is capital lambda this is a greek sign we also know this one as 8 pi i'm so sorry this is 8 pi 8 is a constant and pi is also a constant we can call it in technical terms these are scalar quantities we talk of this one that is g which is called the good old gravitational constant of uh, newton right and this one the c4 actually speaks of the speed of light now don't yeah. ask me why it is to the power 4 i would explain that that is a dimensional analysis that's it so 1 2 3 4 5 6 terms in this equation we already know which what they are uh, the c4 8 pi g plus lambda and half right so these are already things that we know now first of all let me explain this part the left hand side part this one this actually speaks of the space time curvature uh, if you have watched our previous discussion with divyansh we have been talking that the fictitious force of gravity has been replaced by einstein in what we call is a space time curvature so this is basically the space time curvature and this is actually what is called the matter movement that means how much matter uh, it actually moves uh, i mean to say how do we track the movement of matter so and you see both of them are equated by an equal to sign so from there what can we deduce we can tell that space time tells matter how to move and matter tells space time how to curve obviously if the left hand side part this part would not have been present 
then this part would have been absent. That means if there is no curvature, if there is no matter, there is no curvature. And if mm. there is no curvature, there is no matter. Obviously, each of them yeah. are dependent yeah. on each other. So yeah. this actually shows that how space-time and curvature are all equated in one single equation, number one. Mm. Now, also, uh, let us pay an attention to this. We called it at Einstein's field equations, not equation. That means there are a total of 16 partial differential equations, which yeah. we are currently watching over here. And mm. out of that, 10 of them are common and we have reduced them. Six of them are common and we have reduced them to 10. Now, if you say, now, what does it mean by common? I would say, let us just learn in this way. A multiplied by B equals to B multiplied by A. So we can say AB equals to BA. Similarly, 1 plus 2 will be equals to 2 plus 1. So 1 plus 2 and 2 plus 1 equal. Additive so what commutative laws. Absolutely, absolutely commutative law. But this is a very idiotic example, Divyansh. Yeah, that is very basic. Yeah, but actually what happens is that if we take a kind of a uh, further expand it to a kind of a matrix, Right. If you take a kind of a matrix, then what we will find over here is that certain values of the matrix over here matches with certain values of matrix over here. Certain values of matrix over here will match with certain values of matrix over here. So somewhere we found that one and two will be equal to two and one. In this way, there are 10, six components which actually cancels out. And what we are looking into are a set of 10 partial differential equations, which seems to be just a single equation. So let us keep in mind, we are looking at a very highly, perhaps the most complex equation developed on Earth. This is this one. Okay, now that we have understood the left-hand side, and we have also understood what is the right-hand side. That means the space-time and the curvature. Now it is a time that we should explain each and every component with very simple example on a day-to-day -day life that won't require any level of mathematics to understand. So now we would try to explain one by one what they are. First of all, I would like to explain this one this R. Now you see there are one and two, there are two R's, but however, these two R's are different. I will come to that. This first R is what is called is a Ricci curvature tensor. Okay, mm. so it is actually taken from the name of the famous mathematician Ricci Curbastro, right? Yeah. So he developed what is called Ricci curvature tensor. Now, if you tell me, I will uh, now stop the screen sharing once more and we'll come back to the screen because I need to uh, show my uh, face. I know it is not very handsome to show, but still I would like to talk. Now, Ricci curvature tensor is something which is related to a spherical ball. Now, the immediate question that you or my viewers will ask that why are we taking a ball? Why are we not taking a rectangle, pyramid, any kind of an octagonal or hexagonal shape? Now, the, the thing is that let us remember that we are dealing with a spherical, uh, I would say, the Earth, the Jupiter, the Moon, the stars, which are all basically oblate spheroid, the shapes. Yeah. And Einstein basically calculated the presence of mass, which will be present in Einstein field equations, which are basically kind of a ball, which is a kind of a sphere. So everything which you will see uh, when we further extend it, these are all measurements of balls or spheres. Because mm. everything, if you see around the solar system, these are all shaped like this. You don't then get any rectangular pyramid shape, right? Mm. So we take a ball. And also the uh, big thing is that if you take a ball, it is much more simpler to derive the equations. Rectangles, etc., yeah. have much uh, problems. Okay, so I will go back to the screen again and I will try to explain uh, what we were doing. So if I go back to this, uh, you know, screen, what we see is the R, which is called the Ricci curvature tensor. Now, Ricci uh -huh. curvature tensor actually tells 
that if there is a ball which is moving along a Euclidean space, that means mm. it has got a straight line. Uh, please uh, apologize for my horrible handwriting and drawing because I'm just using the touchpad. So if I take this straight line and if I take a kind of a ball over here, the way it will move along a straight line, the ball, it won't move in a kind of a curved surface, right? If it takes a curvature like this. So definitely you will see uh, that when the curvature is positive, okay, again, I'm stopping my screen sharing. Uh, this has to be done, otherwise you won't be able to understand. So if I'm taking a kind of a curvature, for example, if I take a sphere, okay, let us imagine a mm -hmm. globe mm -hmm. and we are starting right from the equator. So we move up, what happens is that we meet at the poles, right? This is right. called positive curvature or we should technically call it is a geodesic. But anyway, mm -hmm. this is a positive curvature. That means two persons starting, they're meeting at a point. Now yeah. try to imagine what happens that if you roll a ball around that shape, so the ball is there and the shape is like this. So eventually the size of the ball will shrink. Mm. The size of the ball will shrink. If I take a kind of a, this kind of a divergence where the lines are spreading, you will see that if two persons start walking each other, they never meet each other. They went apart, went apart, went yeah. apart, right? So that is called basically a negative curvature, right? Mm. So what happens if I take a ball and then I push the ball again, this kind of a divergent curvature, the size of the ball will increase. Here it is decreasing. And if you take zero curvature, that is a straight line, the ball will move parallelly and they will never meet each other. Okay, now I will write. So this is actually what Ricci curvature tensor is measuring. Remember the amount of deviation the amount of deviation, that means if I take a ball in a Euclidean straight part, it won't deviate. So mm -hmm. how much the ball is deviating from a straight path to a curved path, positive, negative, that comes later, to a curved path, that is what actually the Ricci curvature tensor actually determines. So the Ricci curvature tensor would tell that if a ball is moving along a curved path, not how much it is deviating there, how much compared to the Euclidean space, how much it is deviating. Yeah. Compared to the straight line, how much it is deviating over there. So that is what Ricci curvature tensor does. Okay. So we have done one uh, wonderful thing that we have understood one of the elements of, uh, you know, Einstein's yeah. field equation. Yeah. I will go to the second one, which is this one. Okay. Let me remove this uh, sketches over here. Does it carry any meaning? Okay, I will come to this part. I'm so sorry. This one, mu nu. So now what happens is that we know that we are talking of four dimensions, right? So the first dimension would be uh, length. The second dimension would be breadth. The third dimension would be height. And the fourth dimension would be time, that is T, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what is happening is that this mu nu is actually determining the four dimensions of space-time. Now... Mm -hmm. It is a time to prove what I just told a few minutes ago. So this one is four units. This one is four units, eight. This one is four units, eight, 12, 14. Four plus four, eight plus four, 12. And this one is four. So four hmm. plus four plus four, automatically it becomes 16 partial nonlinear differential equations. Yes. So I have duly proved myself that this is the 16 uh, you know, dimensions, I would say 16 uh, points that we are talking about and we deducted six of them and we are talking of 10. Mm -hmm. So this mu nu on each dimension, g mu nu, g mu nu, t mu nu are all dimensions of space-time that is the fourth dimension, okay? 
I won't talk about this half, otherwise it will take the derivation part, which is too difficult to do right now. I will come to this R. Okay, now this is actually called the Ricci scalar. Now, it would again take a lot of mathematics to make understand what is Ricci scalar, but let us try to understand Ricci scalar is something which is, I would say, it is a kind of a, let me stop the screen sharing again, the kind of a, uh, you know, shortening of hmm. a Riemann curvature tensor. Now, Riemann, again, you will ask me a question, what is a Riemann curvature tensor? In the field of differential geometry, the manifolds that we talk, these are actually called Riemannian manifold. That means curvature. Let us hmm. understand, these are simple curvatures, named after Riemann because it carries a different kind of a name. It carries a different kind of a name because it is uh, named by Bernhard Riemann. Yeah. So it is basically uh, the Riemann curvature tensor and it measures something. What does it measure? We will come to that. So the Ricci scalar is actually a shortening, shortened form of Riemann curvature tensor that is also a kind of a measurement of how much the uh, curves, surfaces, etc. are on a Riemannian manifold. Okay, let me come to the next part. I, I, I don't know whether I've been able to explain things very simply, but uh, this is how things are. So uh, next we come to this one. Okay, let me remove this one. This one is a very central thing, which is called G mu nu. And this is what is called metric tensor. The most fundamental, the most important, yet the most complicated thing in the entire field equation. Okay, let me give you a very simple example of what metric tensor is all about. Okay, let us, yeah, let us take an example that I am staying on earth and my currency is dollar, for example. So 81 rupees is equal to, 81 rupees is equal, equals to one dollar as per today's currency. Now I go to some other planet. Okay, let us name the planet as planet P. And there the currency system, it is called Zozo. It's just a funny name. Okay, it is called Zozo. So what happens is typically is that when I am going to that planet Zozo, mm -hmm. in order to fetch one glass of milk, I would take $1 on earth to get one glass of milk, say for example. Now, when I go to Zozo, those people tell, hey, Shona, come on, you need to change your currency from $1 to one four four, for example. And in order to get one glass of milk, you have to give me three four four so that you can get three gla one glass of milk. Now, what is happening is that metric tensor is basically a measurement of a metric. Metric means what? To measure. A yeah. one glass of milli milliliter, liter, kilogram, these are all measurement. Mm -hmm. But what we find in Einstein's field equations, the difficulty is that the normal measurements do not work. That mm -hmm. means if I take two points and if I tell what is the distance between two, you would say, just follow the Pythagoras' theorem, x2 minus x1, plus y2 minus 1, y1 square, whole square root. But when we go to a different planet like Zozo, same happens with uh, metric tense in Einstein's field equation, is that we are unable to find a metric which is just like kilogram, milliliter, liter. No, it ha doesn't happen like that. So we have to create a different kind of a metric system in order to measure angle, triangle, hyperbola, polygons, although it doesn't exist here, I mean to say any kind of a measurement. That means if I am going from my home to my college. There's, there's one called arc, arc's length, I guess. ARC arc length. Yeah, arc length. 
No, no, that is, that, that is Euclidean. That happens very easily. That is Euclidean. That means uh, no, that is non, not, non, non-Euclidean. Arc length, etc. are all basically, uh, I would say, Euclidean geometry. Uh, say, for example, if I'm going from my college, from my home to my college, it generally takes an hour's time. So I tell the metric as, uh, I, I tell the metric as M, that is from my home to my college. Right. Now, from going from home to my college uh, day after tomorrow, I see that there is a huge building. I have to move the other way around. So it takes one hour, 20 minutes. So that is called M2. That means what is happening? I'm moving at the same destination, but I'm taking two different routes. Now, in order to measure those routes, that means, for example, you want to measure the normal uh, normal area of a triangle half base into height, normal area of a parallelogram, normal area of a circle, normal area, normal circumference, all those things which happens with Euclidean geometry. The school level geometry, these formula do not work on the manifold of general relativity. So that means we have to create a new angle, new formula for pi r square, new formula for Pythagoras' theorem. Mm-hmm. Everything has to be redefined yeah. because we are on a different planet. That is what is called the metric tensor, small g. Please let us not confused with the, the gravitational acceleration mm-hmm. g but this is just the small g where we are measuring the metric tensor metric tensor actually means that how we are measuring the changes from the normal euclidean space to the uh, from the normal euclidean space to the non euclidean space mm-hmm. okay then we get this lambda which is called the cosmological constant which uh, einstein thought that the universe is not expanding So we Mm. will put it as a cosmological constant, which was later removed by him when he understood. Then we again get a JMU new. So this is the same. Okay, now we come to, so we are done with the left-hand side, Vivyansh. You should congratulate me. We are done with the 10 years old things in 15 minutes time, right? So the entire left-hand side equation is basically, the. you saw R measures the change in geodesics. The, again, that R measures something on a Riemannian manifold, G measures. So all these are measures of what? Curvature. That means how much my space, my tablecloth is curved. Okay. Now we come to the simple right-hand side equation. This 8 pi. Okay. Now this 8 pi is coming from Poisson's equation. Uh, I won't be able to show this requires a long derivation. So let us assume 8 pi is something which is coming out of a derivation. G, the gravitational constant. C4 comes again because of dimension analysis. Again, it would require a lot of mathematics to do so. I will straight away come to this most important component, which is called T, and it is called stress-energy-momentum tensor. Now, what is actually stress-energy-momentum tensor? I would like to explain in very simple words. What happens is that, in general, when we talk of Newtonian mechanics, if you take force, velocity, acceleration, these are all in three-dimensional space, this can be easily mentioned. We use differential equation or partial differentials to do that. But whenever we are taking, I'm not coming to general relativity, I'm talking of special Mm. relativity. When you're talking of special relativity, everything is done what it is now united in a four-dimensional space-time. Remember, space-time is not different, it is one one space-time united. Mm. So automatically what happens, force become four-dimensional, I would say four-vector. Momentum becomes a four momentum. Acceleration becomes something different. So a- entire mathematics changes to what is called a four vector. I see. So yeah. stress will also change to four vector. Stress will also change to four vector. Shear stress will also. So everything changes to four vector. 
Mm-hmm. Now, here comes a problem with the mathematicians that things do not actually take with Newtonian mechanics. You, you ask mm. me the question, why? The reason is that in Newtonian mechanics, we only got a vector. That it mm. that means it measures the magnitude and the direction. Yeah. But what about a cube, say, for example, where the pressure is happening not only the magnitude and direction, but on a plane. That means on the first plane or on the side or on the back. That means we are unable to measure that magnitude and direction where it is happening, which plane, whether it is front, back, sidewise. So that is why you have to include a component called tensor. Tensor, what it does, it measures three points. One, where is the force? The force, the magnitude, that is for magnitude and direction, and where on the plane it is happening. On the left-hand side, on the right-hand side, on the top. That is what is called a tensor. Now, Mm. what happened is that because everything was made in a four vector, so the stress, energy, everything is now being measured in one small safe house that is called stress energy momentum tensor. Now, Mm. here is a catch. Stress energy actually existed during the time of Newton also, in a form Mm. of a tensor also. But what happened is that we used to measure that in just three dimensions, taking the three vectors. Now we are taking the four vectors and putting it in a small room, which is called stress energy momentum tensor. So everything which is related to a matter, a matter consists of stress, energy, density, momentum, pressure, everything. Everything is now finding its place in this small place, stress energy momentum tensor. Now, let me give you a very quick answer also to this one. We know that force equals, we know that E equals to mc squared, right? The famous formula, right? Now, we know what is energy. Energy is equal to mass. We know that. Now, let me show this equation. Let me share the screen. I hope you can see this. Uh, Yeah, are you there? Yeah. Yes, I am. Okay. So, now you see, I will remove these things. So, we got the stress energy momentum tensor. Now, if if I take the equation E equals to mc squared, Mm -hmm. okay, and I am ignoring mc, I am ignoring the c squared part, right? Mm -hmm. I am not taking that. I'm just taking energy is equals to mass. Hmm. Now you see this part is all the M part, the mass part. And this part is all equals to what is called the curvature. Hmm. Now you see how it deduces. If If the mass is not there, it won't get an energy. It would get and a if the energy, oh, yeah. And if yeah. the energy is not there, it also won't yeah. get a curvature. So you see, that is why we say that E equals to mc squared. Energy is equal to mass. Mass equal to energy. If mass does not get an energy, energy won't be able to make a curvature. And that mm. is why you can call this also as E equals to m, mm. something like that, because this is energy. Energy means curvature. Curvature mm. for the presence of mass. And not only that, I will also try to show you one thing that in my uh, a few of my videos of general relativity, I've also shown that this force equals to mass times acceleration, which is the mm. second law of Newton. You okay. see this acceleration, this acceleration mm. is actually a form of geodesic equation, which mm. I won't be able to see. This is a big one. But this mass or this force is this one. Mm-hmm. Force means what? Curvature. This mm. is the curvature. So this F is the curvature and mm. this one is the mass. Mm. Why? Because the stress and energy. So you see how beautiful it is. Now you can see the beauty. 
So we know the uh, f equals to ma from our school days. Now we see that how this f equals to ma has led to Einstein's field equation. And from Einstein's field equation, you can again go back to f equal to ma, provided you are given certain symmetric conditions at low gravity, etc. See, this is the beauty of generativity, which we have been talking for almost two episodes. Force is reduced to energy or to a curvature of space-time. So Newton also exists, and Einstein's also exists. This is the Newton part, the top one, right? And this yeah. is Einstein. So you see, let us not quarrel who is right and wrong. Both of them are right. Mm-hmm. So this part actually is the force, and this is now reduced to curvature. Mm-hmm. And this mass is the stress-energy-momentum tensor, which actually uh-huh. shows that how much, due to presence of mass, the curvature happens. And acceleration has found somewhere else that would again take a, a, some time to explain the geodesics. So, so I hope this part is clear that each yeah. and every uh, components I have tried to explain, but there is a lot more. Uh, you can take one episodes for each tensor, Ricci curvature, one hour. Riemann curvature one hour, but that is not the right time. Mm -hmm. So this explains, I would say, summarize the mathematical as well as the intuitive part of Einstein's field equations. Um, So, okay, so this is the last question. This is somewhat interesting in its own sense. So Einstein's equations tell us how particles travel and propagate through the space and time, space-time fabric. In cases where the motion of the objects align uh, with the bend and the curvature of the fabric. So the question comes over here is, what if something wishes to travel in straight line, curved curvature of space-time fabric in a straight line and has to interact with a curved space-time, space-time fabric, will it tear through one point and end up at the other or will it travel in a straight line? But like from our perspective, we'll see it traveling no, uh, in a straight line. But I mean, yeah. so the question is actually not clear. If the, if the, if the, if the, if there is a curvature. Yeah. For, so what I'm trying to say is if the very curvature of space time, okay. The very fabric is curved in its own sense. Yeah. I got the, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. If it, it, if it is curved in its own sense and if some particle or let's say, some form of energy tends to travel only in straight lines. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the question is, will it tear through the fabric uh, and no, end up from no, one, one point to No, it won't. Other? It won't. Because considering given the mass, if it is yeah. a particle, if you're talking of a subatomic particle, any genetic terrestrial particle, hmm. it will just follow the geodesic. Then end so that is... Okay, okay, continue. I'll try. What you're talking of tearing the fabric space-time, mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that happens with huge mass. That is actually what is called the formation of black holes. When you put Uh a mass, which is so huge, that that is is something that happens only in vertical, right? When you put an object and then it bends the space-time so much. Yes, actually. actually. See, space-time curvature, I mean to say what you're telling, this kind of a curvature, Mm -hmm. it is is basically a mathematical concept. I mean to say it it is not like a physical concept that Mm -hmm. you might, you know, tear apart something. It actually happens. Well, that is yeah. the concept, I guess, where I learned about wormholes. Is that no wormhole? No, no wormholes forms when it is this. It will tear apart. Mm-hmm. It will create a kind of an infinite uh, curvature, mm-hmm. and when you fall within that, mm-hmm. you will reach to a singularity. And then this is again a mathematical concept, hypothetical, mm-hmm. that possibly if you can escape the hitting of the singularity, hmm. then it will take you to another path, which is hmm. a kind of a shortcut, this two 
So if you travel from here, it's a cylinder, and then you end up here. That is called Einstein Rosen bridge. That means you fall through that, and then you come out of that. So that is called Einstein. But again, that would only happen when there is a huge mass, and the and and the curvature which we'll call will extend to infinity. And yeah. possibly it will lead to another world. But this is these. This was I was speaking to a video that let us not be so romantic or think uh, beautiful uh, sleepless nights, thinking that I am diving into a wormhole. No, it is not like that. It's mm -hmm. just a hypothetical concept. This carries a lot of complex mathematics. Nothing has been proved. Nothing is there till now. It is just mm -hmm. because it's a space-time curvature. And if it happens, then possibly there's a theoretical guess that we would land into a COVID-free world. <laughs> okay. Uh, so after all, we are done with the field equations. Uh, Absolutely. Hoping to make, I'm hoping to make another uh, few episodes with Mr. Shonak. Uh, we've got a few topics. Yeah, I, I like, think that yeah. now that we have uh, spoken about the big one, yeah. the huge curvatures, yeah. now I think uh, maybe okay. time will permit or your podcast schedule will permit, we mm -hmm. should talk about the absolutely small, that is quantum particles, quantum mechanics, and how uh -huh. quantum computing is changing the entire world. Yeah. That could have, could be quantum another... Quantum computing topic. is a good topic, yeah. Has a lot of scope, uh, considering yeah. that people might be trying to pursue careers into it. But yeah. Yes. So, uh, thank you everyone after... Okay. Thank you. Any, message, FA, any messages from your side, Mr. Shonak? Uh, what I would say is that Einstein general theory of relativity, people consider it to be very complex, but I'm happy to see there are a lot of young people of your age and even younger than that are pursuing general theory of relativity. Constant, uh, you know, messages, subscribers, video messages, WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. They all want to learn that, sir, I want to learn Einstein's general relativity. Please give me a way. Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. thing is that the world is out there. You are there. You can go and grab the opportunities. But I would like to tell you a message, especially if you're in India, it would be a point of advice that not to pursue a career in general theory of relativity because India, because of its infrastructure structures and others, I'm not saying we are making great progress in space, etc. But still, we do not have that infrastructure or observatory or telescopes so that we can get it further and see the observations. The yeah. future lies in AI, the future lies in quantum computing. So my message to all the viewers would be, especially the youngsters, Please do not fall into false traps. Please do not think that it is all because you just took up a book of fiction and you saw pictures of black holes and wormholes. That means that is physics. No, physics is, uh, I would say, very interesting, but it is a hard-hitting mathematics. Get hold of the mathematics, understand, and then jump into it. Please do learn generativity, which is quite misunderstood, and spread the news to the entire next generation of yours that herein lies one of the most beautiful equation and one of the most beautiful theory, which would require some years of dedication, pure mm. mathematics, and good study to do. So I wish you wish all the young people who are watching this video uh, that uh, science is all about we should dedicate ourselves, but we should also understand the practicality in terms of making up our career, building our finances. So let us take us, uh, mm. let us introspect. I also wish from my, from the core of my heart, all the best to Vimper podcast, especially to Divyansh being such a young person, doing a lot of good things. I mean to say, he's putting a lot of good effort, you know, to bring science forward. And it's not because of money, not because of anything else, but just because of the love of science he's doing. And so I, I am doing. So like us, there are a lot of people and the entire world is... Uh, still there who doesn't look only upon revenue and money, but just mm -hmm. uh, we do because we love science. That's it. 
So my best wishes to you. May you grow, prosper, and bring more people across the world. And may Vimper Broadcast grow and let it uh, occupy a significant area in the society where you would be contributing immensely. Thank you, thank you, thanks a lot, Mr. Shonak, for those kind words. Thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to another episode of the Vimper Podcast. I guess the twenty third. I don't remember, but yeah. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope you did not start sleeping like me. I mean, I was almost there, <laughs> considering <laughs> how difficult things were for me. But anyways, yeah. Uh, thank you for listening. Hope to see you again. Hope to hear from you again. Uh, this is your this is your host, uh, Devansh Vinjan, signing off.